Welcome to Wellversed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Wellversed podcast. Well, I have a special guest for you. We, folks, we, we bring you some pretty tough news. I've gotten emails when we finish the show, people saying, man, I cannot tell you how depressing that was. They'll say, <laughs> man, your, your, your show scared me today. We, we learned about the deep state. We learned about Islam coming in. We learned about CCP, a Navy being bigger than ours. We, 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 we learned about uh, totalitarian authoritarianism taking over most of the globe. We have some heavy topics. We're going to lighten it up a great deal today. Now, lighten does not mean unimportant. Lighten will be a lot more enjoyable, a lot more fun than what you oftentimes hear, but it doesn't mean unimportant. So this is a very important call. And to me personally, the person I'm about to introduce, his name is Derek Johnson. I want to tell you what Derek Johnson means to me personally. Then I'm going to have him tell a little bit of his life story. And then we're going to jump right into the content that flows out of this man, age 90 now, and as energetic as anybody I know. He jumps on airplanes, flies everywhere. Um at age 90, there's no evidence of him slowing down whatsoever. A remarkable figure. I was a college freshman. It was December of January 1965. Boy, that's a long time ago. And I was in Louisville, Kentucky at a big youth convention. There I saw a man from Skyline Church. I had no idea I would someday be pastor of that church. From Skyline Church, the pastor, founding pastor Orville Butcher, uh, one of the youth pastors, Jimmy Johnson, the collegian and collegian pastor of Mr. Music, a guy named Derek Johnson. There the three of them were with a group called the Skyliners. I think they had other names at various times. Incredible music. It was electric. It was it was the best I'd ever seen. I was I was captured. I remember the songs they sang. I can tell you the words. I can tell you the attire of the music groups. I can tell you things that Derek and Jimmy said with Pastor Old Butcher. I, I remember as if it was 15 minutes ago. I won't rehearse all that, obviously, but it impacted me. What I didn't realize is just in a month later, this was January of 1966, Derek Johnson, as a young man, would come from San Diego. He was on staff at Skyline. He was the first, maybe the second, but he was early staff member in 1954 on the staff of Skyline Church with Pastor Orville Butcher. At the, the church was founded in 54. He came a few years later. I don't remember. He'll tell us the year, maybe 57, when he was a student at Azusa Pacific University. He joined the staff there, and he was in demand across America. Not only his music arrangements, he's done thousands of music arrangements, which are done nationally, internationally, and he was in demand as a speaker, which he still is at age 90. Highly motivational, highly encouraging. Well, he came to our little tiny college in Kansas, North Central Kansas, a tiny school in a town called Miltonvale, Kansas where I drove down dirt roads 20 miles to go to school every day to college. And there as a college freshman, he spoke. I was so impacted. I grabbed paper and started writing down everything he was saying. In fact, a few days later in my little tiny country church, 50 people or so, it was youth Sunday and the preacher asked me to preach. I didn't know what to preach. So I preached what I just had heard from Derek. I still have those notes. They're in my files to this day. And ironically what they were, they were the four spiritual laws. No one had ever heard of them. They had not been printed. There was an unknown guy named Bill Bright who was on the UCLA campus, and he trained students to sit with other students and on a napkin write out the four spiritual laws. 
First time I ever heard them. There was no, nothing was printed. Now, it obviously printed into the tens of millions or maybe hundreds of millions uh, from that time to the present. But at that time, it hadn't been printed. So Derek's impact was so great on my life and, and musically as well. I, I, was a, I wasn't a great musician. I was an okay musician, but not a great one. That, that it impacted my life. I felt a call into the ministry right after that through Derek's influence. And I, my first church was a youth pastor and music minister like Derek was. I wanted to be like Derek. Well, I couldn't do music like him and I couldn't do all the other stuff he could do, but I could be me. And so I followed that particular pathway. He has continued to be the second greatest influence as a terms of a male in my life, second only to my father, second greatest male influence in my life, clear to this day from January of 1966. He still speaks into my life. I still treasure times with him. And I'm going to have him tell you, as he went on, he joined Disney. Now, I know Disney is different today. It wasn't like that back when he was with Disney. But I'm going to have you tell you a little bit about his life first. Then I want you to hear, here's what I want you to see, how his mind works, how he sees principles of life, how he lives out this thing called life. This will be a very enjoyable time. It's a principle-driven but with a lightness that you're going to enjoy a great deal. Well, Derek Johnson, that's the longest introduction I've ever given to anybody. I apologize for the length, but you are a precious, precious friend and brother to me. Welcome to this broadcast. Well, thanks, Jim Garlow. And I feel the same way about you. I just got started a little before you did. So I was down the path, but we walked the same path with the same energy and the same passion to really make a difference in this world for the Lord Jesus Christ. I did start my whole real life in San Diego at Skyline <clears throat> with Orville Butcher, who was the founding pastor, who gave me so many incredible principles. In fact, I wrote a book one time called Tips Off the Butcher Block, the 101 secrets I learned from the wisest man I ever knew. And uh, so I, my life is still full of the things you know, that he taught me. Uh, and from there, I've always felt, you know, we need to create sometimes the need for who we are. It's not the world is asking for us. When, when I was a Skyline for 13 years and uh, had an opportunity to take what I had learned there out into the world, I started a group called Regeneration that everybody told me wouldn't work. I mean, my best friend, Otis Skillings, who was a fabulous music guy, he said, I'll never work. He's too pretty. Ralph Carmichael, the dean of all Christian contemporary music, he, he called me. I'm so disappointed. You're going back into pretty music. It's moving on. I, you, you're, you know, keep going. I said, but I love these chords and I love this music. And I believe that pretty can be holy because then we're getting a really rough. Anyway. Let me, let me break in right there just to say, folks, what he's talking about is a sound, a vocal sound that is breathtaking. Derek's the first time I minored in music. I, I wasn't that good at it, but I minored in music. So I knew, I knew one, four, five, five, seven. I knew a second. I knew a six. I knew what these chords meant. But Derek took us into ninths and elevenths and thirteenths or whatever they were. they were. I'm not sure if Derek, I'm even saying the right thing, but he took us into chords we had never heard before. And this, these are voices of velvet. 
that are that are unbelievably smooth, incredible sound. I want you. To, we ought, we really should have grabbed something and played it. Maybe maybe we can get that on here just a little bit and play something. Go ahead, Derek. I want you to. And one more thing about him, his goal was to see if he can inspire one thousand people to be called into full time Christian service. It is believed he reached that goal. And on the day he reached that goal, a few days later, they sell after they celebrate. I called him. I said, "Remember, I'm one of those, and I, and I think I'm number six six six. Bad joke, really bad joke. I admit that. But he probably launched at least a thousand people to full time Christian, Christian service. Derek, I so apologize for breaking in. Although I might end up doing it again. Go on with your story. Hey, stop me anytime, man. That's very important. Well, I had a sound that I wanted to do with regeneration and create it. We tip the, the vocal choral ensemble sound upside down, where everybody's building choirs from the bottom up, like a band. But I, I hung it from a soprano down. So we matched the sound up instead of match it down. Anyway, that's what gives that kind of velvet sheen. As well, what do you mean? Well, explain that for us laymen in music. Uh, I, I know you're, you're, his wife, by the way, has done, Debbie Johnson has done, is it 46,000 concerts? Yep. 46,000 concerts on the Voices of Liberty at Disney. Uh, she's no longer with them, uh, 46,000. But uh, she's one of the highest singers. I'm sorry? She's still with me. She's oh, yeah. still with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's still with Derek. She's still with Disney. I wandered off to the wilderness here. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I know she can sing unbelievably high. Is that what you mean? You you built it from that top singer down? Is that What do you mean by that? Yeah, we hung the sound from the top and we match match up instead of match. Match your sound. If you're a singer, then your, your your first soprano, your high soprano is who sets volume, intensity, uh, style. You can't go past her. So you can be a great heroic baritone, Jim, like you, but you don't get to do your thing if she's just kind of nah, 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 on the top. So you really work with that girl at the top to get that sound right. Then the second soprano matches her. And we have an exercise we do in the first alto matches the second soprano and so forth. The first tenor matches the low alto. So he's just not just a booming tenor and, and the alto is going to struggle over him. He tucks in underneath her, you know, sound-wise, volume-wise, style-wise. And so that's what gives it that, mm, that very different kind of vocal development. And that's what everybody called it, you know, from the beginning. Is there and, any kind of a... Uh, we and we got to get a recording on here and just so people can understand the, the sound. Is there any kind in the well-known secular world any kind of person that was a pattern to you at all on that? No. Okay. No, that's after you, you create your you create your own identity. You know, so we're not trained by trying to be like anybody else. Uh, in fact, I think one of the problems that so many churches have today is they they're they're apers. They want to copy what's what's big now. The problem is when everybody zigs, you should zag, because one of the problems becomes that when a trend becomes apparent, it's too late to follow it. You're like a surfer saying that was a big wave. I think I'll catch it. You cannot catch a wave from behind. You've got to find your own wave. So what is that? So that's that with Regen. That's what we did it. And, but everybody said it wouldn't work. So we created an appetite. And here in a few years, Disney started to hire us in back in 1973, uh, just to do, we had a big patriotic program. And we were going for 11 days, four shows a day. 
to, because they didn't have the material written. Anyway, so we did that for five years between Lincoln's and Washington's birthday. And then we started to acapella Christmas and then the voice. But I think, well, first of all, there was something there that was not being done that I felt I would love to fill that gap. The number two would be, I, 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 I never set goals. Goals, and I know you're supposed to set goals all the time. People tell you that. But my problem to me is goals are very concrete. Now, they can bring focus, but dreams bring power. And, and so I don't, I never have set goals, but I leap at opportunities. To me, opportunity is the way that God shows you what he wants to have happen. For instance, when I graduated from college, Jim, I could not have told you my goal was to have a singing group at Epcot because there was no Epcot. It didn't exist. Disneyland didn't even exist. So how could I know that? But then the opportunities come. So instead of me being focused on what my goal might be, which is very concrete, goals are not only in focus, but they're, they're, they're tight. And it could be get a doctorate, pastor, a big church, whatever. That's my goal. But I want to, that's, I, I never said it that way in, in my life. So I'm still the same way. I called just uh, two days ago. Uh, you know, some people want to, right now, I've got a community choir. Um, here that's just fabulous. And I'm, I'm wandering all over here, but this, this is this is fun. You need, I think, people that, now that I'm 90, all of a sudden people want to know how I got to where I am. I'm doing videos and people coming to interview me. I want to write a book about, are you kidding? I mean, for me, no, no one cares about you when you're 45. Of course, you haven't been in any place when you're 45 either. You know? So it all evens out. But uh, all, all, I mean, there's stuff going on all the time, and I'm ready for it. But what I did, because I'm the kind of person that needs to be needed. Somebody needs me to do something for them they cannot do on their own. Well, I want, and that's where so many people who get my age, they just give up, and they wake up in the morning and nobody calls, nobody, they're not doing anything to give out. And so you become like a dead sea. So anyway, so I started this community choir. We call them choir orphans because here in Central Florida, we have no evangelical churches, for instance, that uh, that have choirs. None of them. They're all millennial driven. Uh, and I, I have no problem with that. That's fine. Except every church is the same. I, I mean, so I, I thought, well, I got a lot of people here who have degrees in vocal performance, but they can't sing at church because they don't wear skinny jeans and play a guitar. So I said, I'll give you a chance. Come here. We'll be a, we'll be, we're, we are singers of faith. We call ourselves voices of life and we do four shows a year <laughs> and, and, and we're not competitive. So we say, you know, stay in your church, love your church because that's where you were saved. Uh, your kids were married. Out, you know, don't leave. Come be sing with us because we don't want to competitive. We don't do Sunday morning. We do Sunday nights. So we just finished the concert this last Sunday night. Big crowd. I, we got, we're seeing about 75 people now and they're singers. Like, my, you know, my, 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 my dream would be to have 100 singers, not 100 people. There's a big difference. <laughs> I want 100 singers. And we're right at about 70 right now. 
I mean, it's and it's phenomenal. And I we just just had a call this morning from a church that wants us to come and do our patriotic show in July that we'll be doing at their church because they don't have a choir, but they want something big that's honor America, but they don't have anybody to do it. So they said, bring your choir. So, I mean, it happens all the time, but in the choir, I mean, I, I, I cannot tell you how important uh, it is to these singers. I mean, virtually after every rehearsal, someone will come by with tears and say, the best time I had in college was my choral experience. These are people who own their own computer companies now. I mean, you know, it wasn't math. It was my choir. And I knew when I graduated, I was so sad. I would never be able to sing in a group like that again. But then you come along with voices of light, and they stand and they cry. One, one lady couldn't be with us uh, last weekend because they had booked a cruise a year and a half ago, a whole big family cruise. But she said, can I still come to rehearsals? Because I don't want to miss Tuesday night singing. You know, So it has that energy about it. And even if I wanted to stop, which I don't, but if I did, I'm not sure I could. There's a guy who comes in a wheelchair every one of our concerts. And he, he just wrote, Debbie just got a, an email from him today that he, he, he leaves, he can only leave his house to go to the doctor or to come to our concert. That's it. Otherwise, he can't talk anymore. He can share to breathe. But he wrote to her, said, I would not miss your concert. Because it's, oh, wow. so it's, so we're doing something where somebody needs it. It's not just for me to have an activity. <clears throat> you know, there's value to that. So it gets you up in the morning. That That's one of my big things. But leaping at opportunities has always been a huge thing. And I think one of the things Pastor Butcher always taught me was the well of creativity never runs dry as long as you go and dip from it. Mm -hmm. Your creativity goes on and on. Um, and, and I think there's opportunities for about okay, how old you are. You can be young going to college or you can be all through with college and being down, going sliding down the hill like me. But you still find opportunities. And another great line of his was the opportunity of a lifetime must be seized during the lifetime of the opportunity. Mm. Yeah. It, it's again, it's like surf, it comes. And if you don't do it, somebody will. So if, if, if it comes your way, grab it. And if, if they ask you to do something, you don't know how to do it, say, yes, I'll do it and learn how on the way. <laughs> but keep on, keep on moving and touching people and moving along. The, uh, the, 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 the music he's talking about, folks, I, I know I'm coming back to this because I want us to dig out and in a moment uh, uh, play a, a recording uh, so you'll hear it i was speaking many years ago in pigeon forge tennessee now that if you haven't been to pigeon forge that is a lot of major uh uh how um well, derek what should i call them they're, they're production houses where they do big shows yeah. Yeah. incredible shows just one after another the big show dolly parton and all these various country shows or in Pigeon Forge. It's just a really nice place to visit. It was very family-centered, and I suppose still is. So it's a really neat place to go. So I was speaking there <clears throat> in that area, a very popular tourist area. The singing group before me, they were college age, was the best I had ever heard in my life locally. They just, they just were so phenomenal. 
They were just so, so good. And I said, I said, man, it is the first time I, I, I've sometimes been intimidated to speak after some other speaker before me, like say Jack Hayford right before me or, or James Robinson or something. I've been intimidated to come after certain speakers, <clears throat> but this is the first time the music was so good that I'm actually intimidated to come after this music because that was breathtaking. And I said, I have not heard music like that since Derek Johnson. I didn't even know if they'd ever heard of Derek Johnson. They all burst out laughing. And they said, we're trained by Derek Johnson. Derek, it was Danny Murray and the Voices of Lee. And, and there they were doing, you had trained them in this particular distinctive, uh, distinctive sound. Uh, continue on with your story. Now, when you were, uh, um, you came as a young man to Skyline Church. Uh, you came clear back in, I think, 1957. Is that right? That's right. And uh, it, it, folks, it, it was, it was about, it was one of those creative churches in America. I would contend it was probably the most creative, the things they did. He learned under a pastor was very creative, Orville, Orville Butcher. And uh, then, of course, went on to do the group called Regeneration, Travel Around the Country. Derek, I'd like you to tell the story about you, you prayed one day, Lord, would you open up something to us that can't be humanly explained, that nobody could take credit for? And you ended up getting a major, major thing that God directed you. You, you know what story I'm talking about? No. Oh, okay. Well, you ended up doing, you got to do a halftime for the Pro Bowl. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay so, so tell that one. And then I'm just curious, how many or how many songs have you written? How many arrangements have you done total? Well, I think the arrangements are somewhere around 3,000 or so, you know. Um, so original songs, probably about 150. But I, 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 I write a, I'll write an original song where there isn't one already there. Like, I'm not going to write He Touched Me Again, because Bill Gaither pretty well covered that thought, you know. So I'll use his, but if I need, I, I, this Easter, a year ago Easter, I did a program called the Crimson Bridge, and I had some material about the about the two thieves who died with Jesus that I wanted to, uh, to put forward. So I wrote a song called Three Men Dying on a Hill One Day. It's a very lovely song, and it fit that spot. You can't, there are no books in a hymn book, no hymns about the thieves. I mean, we don't have anything. So I'll write it, and but that song that's not going to go anyplace because it fits, it fits that spot, you know. It's it, it's very selective, so a lot of my songs are like that, and people say I never heard of it. I said, well, you don't need to. You heard the musical; it's in there. So, but yeah, we just, you know, I, I, I this this I also learned, you know, uh, from Pastor Butcher, and I think it's an important thing. He said, if we can explain how we did it, whatever it is, that just means God didn't do it. Doesn't mean God won't bless it, mm. but he didn't do it. We are looking for things that can only be explained by God did it. We call them miracles. So I was chasing those in my life. I want let's let's do things that only God, I, I mean, you the, the, the mountains that we climbed, the giants that we killed, just even getting regen started, when everybody said it wouldn't work. I mean, all my best friends told me it wouldn't work. But, and the miracles that happened, I mean, I mean anywhere near time now, but I'll, I'll send you some stuff sometime because you would enjoy those kind of stories. 
but how God opened this, we were done one day. I mean, the people who were booking us said, we can't, you know, we're, we're, can we're canceling you. You might as well send your service home. And uh, it was that night I was really disappointed, discouraged, and walked in and met three guys coming out of the hotel that I was staying in from Nashville. And we, anyway, we ended up the next morning singing to 1,200 uh, representatives for the uh, National Sunday School Association and walked away with 88 invitations. I mean, hard sell invitations. I mean, this is a date we want you, not just, oh, someday we, you know, I mean, there were 88 of those. So we called the booking agency and said, yeah, we're, okay, you've dropped us, we'll take ourselves, but just so you know, <laughs> we're not leaving the road. I mean, God just miracle to me. And little tiny things to somebody looking on the outside. But boy, this is my life. You know, I'm, I mean, I invested everything in it. So it's just, but what if God will do what God wants done, I, I am, I'll direct your path. That's what he says. So that's me on opportunities. You know, you keep looking at that all the time. What about the story of how you got to the Pro Bowl? Doing halftime at the Pro Bowl with the regeneration. Well, I'm, let me, I'm, let me, let me jog your memory here. Yeah. This, this is, this is going, it's going back 50 years or 40, whatever it is. <laughs> um, you, you had come to a point, you said, Lord, I need you to do something humanly inexplicable. And we're, we're singing, but we're singing for small groups. Lord, do something big tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And you went to a, it was like Kiwanis club or rotary club. And you sang and you know, like a dozen people there or something. It, it wasn't, and you said, Lord, this is not what I had in mind. And a guy came up to you afterwards and invited you to do the halftime at the Pro Bowl, I think it was, right? Well, okay. No, that, that the story is right. The, the ending is a little different. That's when we were seeing my, my, my singers were really trained. If you hear Regeneration, you're going to hear the best that we have. I don't care what the size of the crowd is. makes no difference. A lot of people, singers especially, no high seas today because, you know, it's a small crowd. Save it for tonight. We, we were in a certain, we did 500 programs a year. That's 11 every week while we traveled 100,000 miles to do it. <clears throat> so it was an amazing, crazy thing that we did for 12 years. But so at these service clubs is where so much grace of habit. But this guy came up after the, the club. There were, there were, I think, 30 people that day in this little Civitam club in Jacksonville. He said, you should be singing at Disney. It had just opened. This uh, Magic Kingdom had just opened. I said, well, we can't, yeah, that sounds great. But there's, we, you can't even get an audition. I mean, they just say, no, and we'll find you. He said, well, consider yourself found. He said, I'm the electrical engineer who put all the Magic Kingdom together. That's my company did that for Disney. And uh, the creative uh, director there is my very best friend. So let me call him. Now, this is Monday. Don't you dare call until Wednesday. Because if you get him before I, I get him, he's going to say no. And it'll be over. So I said, fine. So I called Wednesday. He said, okay, when will you be in the Orlando area? <clears throat> I gave him three different, four different spots. He said, I'll just show up. And he walked in to a little rotary club that now that, that land, it's been built over now, but it was a, it was a, I hop a restaurant a mile and a half from where I live today. 
we were mm-hmm. singing, and he walked in and and uh, heard the last half of the first song and the second song. He walked out, gave his business card to my business manager, said, "Have Derek call me, so this is over." So then he said, "We were trying to build a stage in front of the castle because there was none in those early days." <clears throat> and and he said, "Because uh, operations says who'd ever want to see a show in front of Cinderella's castle?" And he, we, entertainment was only everybody. And so, so you come in for eleven days. We'll do four shows a day, and we'll take our surveys. Those days. We're talking going back now, you know. That's this is over fifty years ago, and uh, uh, everything was so much of it was done by audience surveys. Well, we went to sing, and right in front of they built a stage for us in front of the castle, and I mean I've got pictures that we of this rotating picture box, and they keep showing up, taking over the shoulder of the singers, of our singers. And Main Street is full of people all the way. This is at the castle, all the way back to the train station. I mean, it was it was incredible. I mean, people love it. This is the music nobody would like. You remember the beginning of the story <laughs> when they said it'll never work. It's too pretty. You can't do those big chords anyway. So here we are at Disney, and then out of that, the, the well, one of the big Disney executives got it, Bob Yanni was also president of Ready City Music Hall. And I was there writing for him doing some music. And he said, you know, I'm also putting a show together for the Pro Bowl. So can we get you to come? I said, well, man, we'll be in Miami. He said, we'll fly you. So we flew from Miami to the Pro Bowl in Los Angeles to do it. And then jumped on a plane and flew right back to Miami to pick up my carry again. You know, but that's how, that's what I'm talking about, opportunities. You know, you. You can't explain any of that. There is no way. <clears throat> we call them miracles, but that's it. Hmm. The um, tell us the story. You were with Disney as music coordinator for for what? How many? 20, uh, 23, 30, years, 30, 35? Yeah, thirty three years. I was a consultant. I, I never was an employee. You know, I just I wrote stuff that they wanted, and and they let they all knew that I was a pastor. Because my singers always call me Pastor Derek. So, I mean, my cover is blown if I would worry about cover, which I never have. I love working with people like that. <clears throat> so, the, the Ron Logan, senior vice president of creative entertainment, he told me one time, you're, you're our God contact. And I said, what? He said, well, yeah, anytime we have a show, like uh, a, a Christmas candlelight, that's where they have 20,000 high school kids come in over a a 35-day period, three shows a night, and I wrote that, and it's all about Jesus. Mickey Mouse doesn't appear, Santa Claus doesn't appear. And I said, it's the highest-rated live show they've ever had on their property. <clears throat> and and uh, so I did that, and he said, uh, and uh, uh, you know, Living Activity scene, uh, July 4th, God and Country, he'll be on the God. I just said, get Derek to write that. We don't know how to write that. You're our God contact. So I said, fine, I'll somebody needs to be so why shouldn't it be one of us you know but he uh, I just I had I personally had a great time there and they never slowed me down on anything now tell me the story on Christmas when you brought in Walter Cronkite for those of you too young to remember Walter Cronkite was the most famous news anchor in America by far 
Probably, yeah. he, was, he was regarded as the most trusted man in America. Very different than the news today. Uh, he was with, uh, let's see, C CBS, I think, CBS. And uh, I, I watched him every day, as did all Americans. So tell me this. Tell me that story. Okay. Well, we bring these celebrity narrators in for this candlelight procession. It's a full orchestra, uh, Harold Crumpets, Voices of Liberty, and this big masked choir of high school kids. Different choir every night. And a celebrity narrator. So we've had James Earl Jones, and I mean, you name the Dick, Dick Van Dyke. I mean, just goes on and on. But Walter Cronkite was there, and I would get to talk to these people in the green room because I'm conducting this show, the orchestra and the choir. And I wrote it. So I mean, I was free reign backstage. I go to the green room, and he was just a really wonderful gentleman, Walter Cronkite was. And uh, he would end his programs always with and that's the way it was that was his kind of tagline so i talked to him <clears throat> the, the way the way we structured the program was uh just it was scripture carol scripture carol scripture carol that's what disney wanted it was, and uh, the scripture being read by these celebrity narrators well it's through scored but that i mean as soon as he finishes reading his they, they, they look up, they, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Boom, boom, boom. You know, and as the music stops, his light comes on and he reads the next scripture as we go through the Christmas story. So there's no chance for him to say anything personal. And men or lady, a narrator. Uh, and I mean, that, that is, it's all scripted. But at the very end, after the Hallelujah Chorus, then uh, there's still going to be one more song to sing the choir off, move the choir off. And I said, that's what I call our window of oral opportunity. So Mr. Cronkite, and he said, Derek, call me Walter. I said, well, thank you very much. Mr. Cronkite, like I'm really going to call him Walter. <laughs> you know, I said, Mr. Cronkite, at the very end, for your, your expression of gratitude or whatever, why don't you say, and that's the way it was. He said, that's a nice idea. I felt pretty good. So I would choose not to say that. I said, do you mind telling me why? You always want to know why. When, when these people make a decision, because it's always intriguing. Why don't you want to say that? He said, if I say, and that's the way it was, everyone will think of Walter Cronkite. But I am not here tonight. We are not here tonight. Think of Walter Cronkite. We're to think it. We are here to think about a baby born in a manger, to bring peace and love into this world, I would choose not to divert the attention. Wow. Wow. That reveals a lot about the person. <clears throat> Very important. It says a lot about Jesus. For <laughs> good, good point. Oh, can, we, uh, can we get the focus on it? Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw unto myself. We are not the people who draw. We get that so awkward, so backwards. It's not about you being the draw. It's you lifting up Jesus so he can be the draw. That's the whole point. So anyway. I'm going to have you go into other stories. I think you um, you wrote Chips Off the Butcher Block. In other words, things you learned from the wisest man you ever met, Pastor Orville Butcher. Folks, he was the founder of Skyline Church in 1954. He was a close associate with Billy Graham, traveled with Billy, a young Billy Graham back in the day. And uh, then he was also best man, I believe, in Cliff Barrow's wedding or vice versa. Um, 
Cliff Barrels was the man who did the music for Billy Graham for um, 60, 60 years. A very famous individual that passed away not too long ago. And, and so he worked with him. And then, then Derek um, has given a lot of lectures, maybe even wrote a book. I don't know. Things I learned from Disney that the church ought to know or something of that nature. I can't remember the title of it. Uh, so be thinking of some more of those things to walk us through, Derek, those, these little gems of wisdom that really are, are, are principles by which we can live our life. On our way to that, I just want to cover one more song. <clears throat> the, to my opinion, the greatest song ever written, other than the Hallelujah Chorus, I think one of the greatest songs ever written was when you wrote that song, That Golden Stare. Now, again, people haven't heard it. They're not going to be aware of it. Maybe we can, again, find that and, and, and play it on here. The, the harmonic patterns are, are just stunning. And the message of it is pretty profound. Uh, just say a word about that song, that golden stare, in case we can find it and pull it up. And uh, did you have, do you have a video of a group singing that? No, I don't think so. You have an audio? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, tell me about that song before, then go right into talking about the, 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 these nuggets of life on what you've, by what you've lived your life and kept. One thing I love about you, You've kept a vibrancy. I don't care what age you were. You were 60. You were 70. You were 80. Here you are 90. And the vibrancy of life and the energy and the delight and the joy. Of life, it's more than just physical. It's a spiritual and emotional health with an outlook, outlook of how to live life and, and stay fresh, regardless of whatever experiences you're having in that particular time of your life. So uh, talking about that gold, the song, That Golden Stare, uh, which, again, I think is just stunning i've watched it be performed many times when i was way back in college watch audiences just begin to weep and cry as that song was on i played it recently about a year ago pulled it up online and it triggered tears every time that i would start listening to it tell us about that song and then tell us more of the nuggets of life you learned from pastor orville butcher <clears throat> and and i started to say he was the pastor of skyline then john maxwell was there Orville Butcher was there for 27 years. John Maxwell was there for 13 years. I was there for uh, 23 years. Jeremy McGarity has been there for four or four or five years now. So it's his fourth pastor, Skyline Church, located right here in the San Diego area. Just, Jeremy McGarity is my son-in-law. Okay, so Derek, back to the song, and uh, and then tell us some of those nuggets. Okay. Well, uh, I had a little grandmother who really felt like I was supposed to take her husband's, my grandfather's place in the ministry. He was a great old-fashioned Methodist preacher and uh, was awarded the St. Olaf's Medal from the King of Norway. It's a whole great story. But he had picked me out of all the grandsons and put his hand on his deathbed. We all got to go in and see him, which is really creepy for a six-year-old, I'll tell you. But I never forgot it. And he prayed for me that I could be a minister of the gospel. So Nanny, his wife, my grandmother, she kept that. And she was living with my folks. And so every time I go to see my mom and dad, I was at Skyland at the time, uh, Nanny would always pull me aside, come to my office, which was her bedroom. And I'd sit down on her bed and she'd stand up and I'd look eye to eye to her. That's how small she was. And she told me one day, she said, wherever you go, tell people about heaven and how to get there. 
because nobody talks about heaven anymore. My pastor comes to visit me and he just wants to talk about the effect of the European common market on the American economy in the year 2000. You know, <laughs> I won't even be here in the year two. I could care less. Tell people about heaven. So I went back to Skyline, back to church after that little vacation trip. And I was with one of my singers there, a girl named Sandy Barkman. And um, she was supposed to sing for Collegians on Sunday morning. And uh, she said, I can't really find a song. I said, let's write one. So we, I sat at the piano. And uh, the one that you had in the, in the lobby, you know, at Skyline, that old Kanabi, I sat and I played. And I would just start calling out words. And she wrote the words down. She sang it Sunday morning with the collegians and they loved it because those were the days when college kids really loved music you know that, that had texture to it so i did the arrangement real quick sunday afternoon and with the collegian choir was on that night for evening service so we sang golden stare and everybody everybody loved it doug oldham took it if you know that name he had it on two of his albums jerry falwell listed it as one of his favorite 10 songs of all time so it had a little bit of play, you know, but that's what started. Just you need something to stimulate. Uh, now, Otis Skellings, who was my great friend, he would write a song every Tuesday morning at 10 because that's what you did. I said, how do you do that? I mean, Noel Coward, big Broadway writer, he wrote, said one time, nothing stimulates me like a call from a producer. In other words, somebody needs something. Sure, I'll write it. I don't just sit around and write. So anyway, that's that's the story on on, on that song. Yeah, and uh, Tristan, Tristan, we're gonna have to uh, go online find a link to that, and we got to add it in here in a little bit if we possibly can. Very. Let's let's go back to some of the stories, some of the stories of, of the nuggets of truth you learned. Uh, from Orville Butcher, and, and then I think that was it was a talk or a book you had called uh, "Lessons I Learned from the Mouse" or something like that. <laughs> Some things you learned from watching Disney on issues of faith. Again, folks, I want to make a disclaimer: this is not the this Disney wasn't like it is today. Uh, we're, we're not talking about the Disney of today. We're not endorsing any of that. We're talking about what Disney was way back uh, in in its founding years and the years that immediately followed. So. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that. Some of those faith principles, those scriptural nuggets uh, or pr scriptural principle nuggets that you attached your life to. Yeah, yeah. the book, the title will be, whenever I get it out, Things I Learned from the Mouse that You Can Use for the Master. So that's that's what it is. <clears throat> so that things like, from, from the dizzy aspect, um, we need a bigger sky. <clears throat> Uh, I was in a big creative meeting out in Burbank. Uh, and when they have meetings in those days, it was incredible. The, the whole um, uh, business office area where we went was the soundstage where Mary Poppins was filmed. That whole movie, the first one, the whole movie was filmed inside of one building. I mean, everything, one of those... Nannies come flying in in the wind and all, you know, that's all inside this building. In fact, a lot of it is still there. If it was not, if the set was built against a wall, it's still there. So, like, uh, let's go fly a kite. <clears throat> you remember that song out of that movie? The kites are still up there. 
I mean, you walk past those things, it's very romantic. Are you kidding? So I'm in this meeting trying to think, how do we make the whole world think Disney at the stroke of midnight between 1999 and 2000? Of course, my first question in my mind, I'm not going to ask them, but I'm asking, why don't we have some church organization, some parachurch? How do we make the whole world think Jesus at the stroke of midnight? But we don't think that big. I mean, who, you know, but then we criticize the people who do. Anyway, so there's a lot of truth. Jesus said, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We, for so long, were so harmless, they, the world didn't know we were around. You know, so we've got to pick up some things here. Anyway, so <clears throat> one of the first things we're talking about were the, how do we attract attention around the world? They have air launch fireworks. That means you can, if you if you launch fireworks from the air, uh, you can wire them together. From the ground, you can't. They don't have time to expand. If you, if you launch them out of a helicopter, or a balloon or a plane from 7,500 feet, then as they explode, you can have them wired together. You can paint a picture of the American flag coming down, stay holes together all the way down. You can write a music staff across the sky and light notes on the staff corresponding to the music being played on the ground. Bling, 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 bling. I mean, it's astounding stuff. Fireballs and all sorts. I mean, it's amazing. One guy, Don Dorsey, who's an incredibly gifted um, consultant, creative consultant, he stood up, slammed his hand on the on the desk at the table, and he said, "You know something? We need a bigger sky." <laughs> I wrote that down. Church, we need a bigger sky. This is no time to retreat. No time to get smaller. Mm. No, no time to crawl to the top of the mountain like look at Thessalonians, First Thessalonians. We're waiting for Jesus to come. You know, I mean, you, you, the Thessalonica church, you can't do that. We need a bigger sky. God said he could do anything up more than we could ever ask or think includes dreams. According to the power that works in, not in heaven, in us. There always is us. So how can we cut loose from that? Okay, here, here was a fun thing I learned at Disney. And I have scared so many people with this. But I, I mean, I relate to it because that's how we were at Skyline. But the, the, the topic with this budget does not begin with how much money you have. Budget begins with need. What do we need to do? Justify the need. Secondly, you ask the question, how much will it cost? Thirdly, you ask the question, where do we get the money? Church, we reverse it. This is how much money we have that limits everything. And we can say, well, we can't afford to do it. Well, if we're just talking to Jim, we're talking about you and me, Jim and Derek. You're right. We can't afford to do it. And factor Jesus into the equation and suddenly read all things are possible. So somehow we've got to get to the place where we're dealing with God. We're not dealing with budgets and boards. And, you know, in fact, you see, I love this because at Skyline, when I was there, geez, big time at the time you got there. And I'm sure it was much better in a lot of ways, not near as much fun in a lot of ways. We had, didn't have budget for anything. That's why I started to write music, because the budget sheet was printed. Music, zero. No, there was no money to buy music. So I, I get there. I'm doing youth, really. But he said, do the pastor wants to do the choir. So I did. So we're singing out of the hymn book. Well, hymn book's fine for congregation, but there's there's no intro, there's no outro, there's no ending. There, you know, just. It, 
you know, what do you do with it? And I told him one day, I'm not much, but I can write for presentation better than the hymn book. He said, if you can write it, we can print it because that's office supply. We have a budget for that. So I started to write music and I never quit. So mm -hmm. if I had budget, I'd have probably bought music like everybody else, you know. You know, <laughs> we didn't have it. I mean, it, it was it was when I took the new sounds, the college group I had, that was incredible. We went to South America and um, I knew I needed to buy their plane tickets because I'm I'm a pretty intense kind of a person. So if we're going to do it, man, we're not going on a tour. We're going to minister. You know, this is serious. So if if you pay, if you buy your, you pay for your plane ticket and you want my singing, he said, I'm too tired to go. I'm going to be up tomorrow. But if I buy your ticket, buddy, your soul belongs to me and get up and go. And we did, we did 98 performances in 15 days, which is inhuman. I know that. But I told him, we'll rest when we get home or to heaven, whichever comes first. But until then, here we go. But I had to buy the tickets. And of course, church had no money and had less interest in sending college kids to a mission field. I mean, there was zero missionary field. Brand new little church. We can't even afford to buy light bulbs. Why would we send money to Africa? You know, they weren't against it. They just didn't get it. That's why I wanted to take a group down and come back. So anyway, the TWA were flying on. They called me because you could make plane reservations in those days, like renting a car. You could reserve without having to pay. But they called and said, okay, all these flights of yours, you have 18 seats, 16 singer performers, plus a film. I took a guy, Dave Johnson, you remember him, to, to do the filming. Because he's a film major. I was his senior project. And me, that's 18 seats. We need your money. Or we got to release them to the public. I said, oh, how much time do I have? They said, give me 11 days. So I would talk to Pastor Butcher, to whom I always would talk. Not that he had any money, but he was a, such a great sounding board. And I said, what am I going to do? He said, okay, I have two questions for you. Number one, are you sure God wants you to do this? Oh, I said, absolutely. We spent a whole year working on our program in Spanish. We know every, every song we're doing. We've got our all work. That's all in Spanish. Yeah, we're going to do Yes. He said, okay, second question. Do you Are you sure enough God wants you to do this, that you would mortgage your house? I said, yeah, I will. I do. I did. I went down and got a line of credit on my house and bought the plane tickets. And we went to South America. Well, then the, the hook was, <laughs> we got back, we're flying back from Medellin, Colombia to Miami. Well, then I go to Greyhound to charter a bus because we're going to have, we have a tour coming back home again. Two weeks in South America, two weeks travel. We're doing concerts, taking offerings and selling albums so I can buy my house back. I mean, I'm not stupid, you know, but, but you, you got to risk it to get there. So I'm talking to Greyhound. He said, Ian, you don't just get a driver to take you on the trip. We're zoned. So a driver will be in Miami. He'll drive you to the Alabama border. And then you're going to send him home and you have another driver coming down to meet you and he can take you to Tennessee. But then you got to send, I, this is going to be an expensive thing. And three of your trips are more than nine hours because you're driving all night. So you have to have two drivers. I said, how much is it going to cost? He said, a lot. I said, well, how much? Just tell me. He said, well, okay. 
you can buy the same Greyhound silver lander, whatever that lander was, the big Greyhound. I mean, you can buy the same bus that you would uh, that you would charter for a thousand dollars more. So I said, okay, I'll buy the bus. I had no board to worry about. I didn't have to get budget. I was my house, my money, buy the bus. We had a driver to come that could help us from the church. So that's how Skyline got the first travel bus that any any church that we know of, any place had. You know, that's back in 1966. It's crazy, isn't it? But because there was no budget, well, and I can tell you some of the Disney stories on the budget, how they, how they, I mean, it's an amazing, amazing process that churches have, don't have a clue about. Uh, I mean, we, we, had, we had some just before I went to meet with Disney. Well, you're, 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 I, they asked me, because somehow I got involved with all these higher art. It was really, I had such a good time there. I really did. Because it was all about creativity for me there. They wanted to do a, a, a worldwide choir of 100 voices from uh, 50, 50 nations, two, two kids from each. That would be an 18 month run. Does that sound good to you? I said, I'd love to do that. Okay, I want you to produce it. I said, whoa, 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 I'm creative. I don't do produce. I don't, I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, we'll help you. But somebody's got to run point on this and we want it to be you. So I'm going out to this meeting at Disney because you have to justify what your concept at Epcot is, which is opening of Epcot. And, and uh, it, it, so all these, everybody's vying for special opportunities. So they had me go out, fly out to do that. Two nights before, we had sung to the stewardship banquet in a little church, a, a church, and I would say little good-sized church in, uh, in, in Georgia. And their whole thing was raising money. And if we don't get, if we don't get our, let's say a million, just because it's easy to figure out, it was much more than that. But well, if we don't get the whole million, take off, take off the, the uh, we only 950,000, there's no parking lot being paid. Now, ladies, remember how rainy and muddy it was last Easter? You, you can spoil your shoes or you can build, you can, you can help us, you know. So, and it kept, youth pastor goes, I'm just, I'm thinking, are you kidding? Never got down to the pastor salaries. I didn't know this, but all these programs, they peel them off because it's all based on what we can do. And so we said, we had songs like The Dream Never Dies, Just a Dreamer, some really great material for that kind of stuff. And they, when the treasurer came back in again, uh, he was so thrilled, waving the, those days we had tabulation on paper out of, you know, adding machine. Wait, wait, it was over his head. So I knew it was good news or he'd have been <laughs> coming up. So the pastor, well, we raised, this is great. $985,000, but 14 families are not here tonight. So we're sure we've gone over the limit of a million. So Derek, that's all saying faith is victory. So we sang faith is the victory, you know. Well, then I get two days later to Disney on a Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And the first meeting I have is just to justify the need. And I'm talking to 12 directors, foods, wardrobe, um, you know, plants, you know, those people. And of course, the question you have to ask, answer is what's in it for them. They know what's in it for me. It's 18 months. I'm going to write the show, direct the show, but why, why should they be interested in it? So you, 
that's your selling point. So for foods, it's all different nationality. Anyway, just it's all going to match the outcome. So the first day, you justify the need. Because if we don't need to do it, if we then you, you don't have a second meeting. There's no point to talk about money. So the next, how much will it cost? The third meeting, that, um, it was Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, was uh, where do we get the money? And that's what they all have, they wrestle through. But I'm fine back. And then the whole thing never never happened. This is the, the treachery of the big, big companies like this. Uh, it was world showcase stage. <clears throat> that's why a world choir would fit. But, uh, you know, the, the creative powers that be decided to change the name to the American Gardens. Well, you don't need a worldwide choir on the American Garden stage. So boop, the whole thing goes away. But I learned these incredible lessons. But I'm flying back, you know, to pick up the singers again, because we were out in Georgia, and, and thinking what I saw, what I saw at Disney had a lot more faith involvement than what I saw in the church. The church had zero faith. It was stewardship, which is wonderful. That's a virtue. But who wants to sing? Stewardship is the victory. That doesn't sing. So we call it faith so we can sing the song. I mean, it was really eye-opening opportunities there of, of, of how do I mean how do you set things? So budget. Budget is not your friend when you when you really get down to it. Uh, budget will stop everything. As, and they're usually set there to control. Well, dreams, like people say, you know, setting set goals and be sure they're realistic goals. Realistic makes them more concrete than ever because dreams are not realistic. That's the whole point. Uh, Derek, there are so many more questions I want to ask because there's stories I know and I want people here, but but unfortunately we've come to the end of our time. I, I just want to say what 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 does Derek Johnson want to be remembered for the most? When you have graduated, when you've walked that golden stair to heaven, and I hope I hope we have you for a long, long time more. But when that day comes, what do you want to be remembered for the most? There are a couple of things. I want I I I want to be sure that I have used every bit of talent and opportunity that God provided. I don't want to leave anything behind. Like athletes would say, you know, leave it all on the court. I, I, I don't want to leave anything, <laughs> you know. <clears throat> number one, <clears throat> as a faithful follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I was just I was just reading in, in, in my devotions yesterday, Paul writing, and I'm trying to remember an Acts where it is. But what even I, anyway, but he said, our hearts were encouraged when God sent us Titus. Well, I want to be that encourager. I'd love to have people look when I when I walk the streets of Gold say, Well, you encourage you through a hard time, or you're the one that encouraged me to get in the ministry. You're the one that, that got me to the mission field. Um, your your influence, your prayer, your I, I I think to encourage people in the faith and stand tall for Jesus. That's that's everything. And use up the opportunities it gives you. 
Well, the most important person, male figure in my life was my father. The second most important male figure in my life is Derek Johnson, who continues to encourage me in ways, help me dream, help me sort through issues. He's been there alongside me since, <laughs> well, since his impact on me in January of 1966. Um, I, I cannot tell you how much I love you, respect you, honor you. Right, you so much to me. I just, I love you and bless you, my brother. It's same here, boy. It just bounces right back. I love you and pray for you all the time. Good news is, folks, we have found uh, some of those. Thank you for doing that. And uh, we're going to play right now. Here's here's one of the, the, the incredible sounds, the lush sounds of a Derek Johnson arrangement. Listen to this one.
wow, it, it still amazes me when I hear hear his music. It's so it so touches the heart. Uh, let's listen to another one, Tristan. We can't we can't stop this yet. Let's let's pull up another one right now. Let's go let's go for a second one. you again uh i can't say enough Derek johnson how grateful i am for the the, the ability the anointing of god in your life musically uh we do have to do that song i referred to i think we found it now uh that golden stair it's a story of heaven 
So let's listen to that golden stair. I, I, I listed it as one of the greatest songs ever, ever written. Listen to that golden stair uh, right now. When Jesus comes with clouds of angels, when trumpets sound shall fill the air, I want to run. touches 
like it always has. I hope it's been as enjoyable to you as it is to me to get to hear that one more time. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please read the show notes for additional details if you would like a copy of the book or resources mentioned. Remember that WellVersed is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit organization. We rely on your support and partnership. Don't forget to hit subscribe to keep up to date with our latest episodes. Leave us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Thank you for listening to the WellVersed podcast. For more information, please go to www.wellversedworld.org.